You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention please. Now batting for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball, the host, El Melchior. Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball. Welcome, everybody. Happy Saturday to you. This is FanRag Fantasy Baseball, and I'm your host, Al Melchior. And got a lot of cool stuff lined up for you today. And I know you are absolutely not going to believe this, but I am going to talk a little bit about Shohei Otani. I'm going to talk a little bit about Giancarlo Stanton. This is not a rerun, I promise you. Uh, It's just those two uh, continue to be in the news for obvious reasons, but uh, the Yankees have a new manager. Uh, There was a free agent signing yesterday. There was a trade of some note yesterday, and yesterday was also non-tender day. So uh, we've got a little bit to talk about there. Uh, I'm going to continue on with the positional landscape preview around the horn, stop at second base on the show today. This is a really interesting position this year, a weird, wacky position. Uh, I will explain why later in the show. And uh, definitely bearing the lead here because uh, I do have a guest today, and it's Jeff Jeff Zimmerman from Rotographs and Fantrax. Uh, he has been all over uh, all over the place the last couple of weeks. He's published a, a whole bunch of really great pieces. Uh, we're going to talk about two of them on the show today. I think this is absolutely essential stuff uh, for when you're ready to start doing your draft prep. And if you've started already, uh, this is going to just fit right in to uh, what you're already doing. He's uh, done a piece on expected value for different spots in the draft. Really, really cool stuff. And then he followed that up a few days later with a piece on players with high uh, and low surplus value using that expected value matrix as uh, the foundation for that analysis. So uh, he'll he'll explain it a lot better, probably a lot better than I'm doing right now. But uh, stick around for that because that's going to be a very, very uh, interesting and informative discussion. But yeah, let's get on to that new Shohei Otani. He has officially been posted by the Nippon Ham Fighters. Uh, he now has until December, December 22nd, so just under three weeks, to reach an agreement with the major league team. Uh, Pretty much everybody is uh, interested. Everybody, I think, has the financial resources because of the uh, the nature of the the posting agreement. Um, So that uh, discussion should be heating up in the uh, in the coming days. And as for the Stanton news, his agents have talked within the last couple of days to uh, representatives of the front offices from both the Giants and the Cardinals. And he has also uh, expressed interest, not surprisingly, with uh, talking to the Dodgers. And John Morosi from Fox Sports uh, tweeted yesterday that if Stanton agrees to be dealt to either the Giants or the Cardinals, sources believe the trade could be finalized within the next several days. But if he holds out for the Dodgers, the timeline there is less certain. So that from John Morosi. Um, So lots more to keep an eye on there with uh, Giancarlo Stanton. Anyways. Got ahead to break right now, but when we come back, cover a few more news items and get right to the fallout from non-tender day. Stick around. I'll be right back. 
Playing daily fantasy basketball this year? Consider Daily Roto your go-to resource. Whether you play on DraftKings or FanDuel, Daily Roto's customizable projections, podcasts, strategy guides, and lineup optimizer will help you compete with the pros in a fraction of the time. With a team featuring millionaire maker winners and live final champions, there's no better place to get your NBA DFS content. Better yet, you can save 10% using the promo code FNTSY. So go to dailyroto.com slash premium and learn more about our awesome product. Welcome back. You're listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. You can call me out. I'm Al Melk, your, your host for this show. And um, I've got a Twitter poll out there that's in its waning minutes. As I mentioned earlier, I'm going to be doing a brief overview of the second base landscape on the show today. And so I put up a poll with uh, four second base eligible players who I think probably have some similar appeal, but I was curious about how people might value them. So uh, you can go to Twitter, uh, my account, Al Melchior BB, and uh, it's kind of close. So let's make it even more interesting and uh, get out there and, and vote. There's nine minutes left in the poll. Uh, but uh, you do have nine minutes. So before you do that, uh, just take another minute or two. I'm, I'm being you know really, really uh, demanding here, uh, asking you to do all kinds of stuff. But this is important. Go to either dailyroto.com slash DKMS or rotoexperts.com slash DKMS where you will be able to learn more about, yes, uh, DKMS and their very important mission to fight blood cancer. Uh, You can get information on how to be a bone marrow donor, how to make a donation, or just simply uh, more information on what they do and how to spread the word about what they do. Uh, But in addition to all that, you can play a little bit of uh, DFS fancy football for free. Uh, along with Fancy Sports Radio Network, Fancy Draft is co-sponsoring a free DFS game. Uh, there's a new contest every single week through week 16. And then each of those 16 weekly winners get to face off in week 17 with the ultimate winner getting two tickets to Super Bowl 52 in Minnesota. So a lot of great stuff there to check out on those two sites, dailyroto.com slash DKMS and rotoexperts.com slash DKMS. All righty. So just a few more news items to get to in case you haven't heard these yet. And chances are you have if you've been plugged in for the last 24 hours or so. Uh, Aaron Boone is going to be the next Yankees manager. So uh, that is one less thing that we have to uh, track in the the next few weeks. Uh, And there was a free agent signing. The White Sox, uh, they signed Wellington Castillo for a two-year deal worth $15 million plus an $8 million team option for 2020. Uh, So Castillo had a very nice season with the Orioles last year, uh, as has been noted by many people. Uh, Castillo... Benefited from uh, playing at Camden Yards, uh, hit a disproportionate number of his home runs there. He does have some power, but seems to to benefit from a good venue. He gets to go to a venue that, uh, for right-handers, has very, very similar home run appeal to Camden Yards. So uh, that is good news for Castillo in terms of you know run production stats. I would expect that maybe it's a it's a bit of a downgrade. But uh, overall, uh, I think for Castillo, it's it's a good signing. And Oledmus Diaz, he gets a chance to start over after not a very good season 
in 2017, one that actually saw him get optioned back to AAA, uh, lose his starting job to uh, Paul DeJong. So Diaz going to the Blue Jays for 22-year-old minor league outfielder J.B. Woodman. So uh, Diaz really did not have the power last year that he had as a rookie, just sort of mysteriously disappeared. Um, the two things he seemed, seemed to do very well as a rookie, in addition to hitting for extra base power, was also getting infield hits, a combination that you don't often see together. Uh, he did seem to have that, that uh, not to the same degree as in 2016, but uh, you know if, if Diaz could just reclaim the uh, power that he had his rookie year, that could be a very, very nice deal for the Blue Jays. And it's a bit of a package deal because uh, just to slide right into a discussion of uh, the non-tender day, the Blue Jays let Ryan Goins go. So uh, I don't... You know, I, I don't know exactly what Diaz's role will be, but uh, that certainly does clear uh, clear the way uh, for him. I would think to have a better shot at at playing time for the Blue Jays. So, uh, Goins just one of several notable players that uh, were not retained by their teams. Uh, so it was the the non tender deadline uh, yesterday. So uh, players that basically teams were you know. I think looking to shed some payroll to, for letting players go that were, were due arbitration, maybe an increase in arbitration that uh, was above and beyond uh, either what was in their budget or what they wanted to pay for that, that particular spot. Uh, number of players were let, let go. Uh, the Probably the highest profile ones, Matt Adams, who had a really nice rebound after going from the Cardinals to the Braves, uh, and he had matching a matching batting average and isolated power. Both were 271, and you have to like both of those numbers for Matt Adams. So nice little resurgence in his time uh, with Atlanta, and of course the Braves, uh, their motivation for getting Adams from the Cardinals in the first place was because Freddie Freeman was down. So when Freeman came back, there was the brief third base experiment with Freeman but uh, you know, once that was over, especially, really, there was nowhere to play Adams. Played a little bit in left field, but uh, his playing time, his opportunity pretty much dried up at that point. So not a, a big surprise at all that Matt Adams was non-tendered by the Braves. Drew Smiley, also not too surprising. He had uh, Tommy John surgery last season. He's not going to be back until at the earliest midway part through the, the 2018 season. So rather than wait around, the Mariners non-tendered him. The Astros non-tendered Mike Fires, who among that highly improved Astros rotation last year uh, was was obviously going to be an odd man out. There were all sorts of rumors a couple days before the deadline that uh, Fires might be traded. So I just have to assume that the Astros did not find a suitable trade partner. They just simply non-tendered him. He had a 5.22 ERA this past season, and but the thing that really stuck out in my mind was the fantastic stretch he had in the smack middle of the season. He made a thirteen a string of of thirteen starts, dating from May 20th to July 26th, where he had a 2.74 ERA. Uh, he was striking out roughly a batter per inning, but what really stood out for fire, somebody who, when he's had a rough go, it's typically been because he's been homer prone. 
And over that 13-start stretch, he allowed hitters to compile an ISO of 106. That, especially in this past season's uh, atmosphere of, of highly inflated power numbers, that really stands out. A 106 ISO over more than a third of the season. That's pretty interesting. And he backed that up by allowing fly balls to travel an average distance of 303 feet. He had a very high soft contact rate, very low hard contact rate on fly balls. So there, there's nothing that seemed particularly fluky about that 13 start stretch other than the fact that it only lasted those 13 starts. It didn't really spill out. He was not good at all really before that, was not very effective after that. So, you know, we could concoct all sorts of stories about what happened there. Did he tire down the stretch? Did he make an adjustment that hitters, in turn, made their adjustments to? I don't know. I don't know that I'll ever find out. Although this is one of those stories that I'm probably going to follow up on because it's just, it, it was just so extreme, the difference between how he did in the middle of the season versus before and after. But uh, I don't expect anybody, including myself, to draft Mike Fires even as a late-round flyer this coming year. But that little stretch, which was really not so short, um, it's something I want to investigate further. And it's something that would make me take a flyer on him in a 14 or 15-team mixed league. And again, I'm talking a flyer here, cheap, not investing a lot, but just to see if there's something there. And And remember with Mike Fires, it's not like... This was a 13-start stretch in the midst of a career that was otherwise, you know, all non-fantasy relevant. I mean, Fires has been fantasy relevant at times in his career. He's been very good. So those things in combination really have put him on my my deep league radar. Uh, so I mentioned Goins leaving uh, the Blue Jays being non-tendered. So is Tom Kohler. A couple of relievers named Rondone hitting the free agent market. Hector Rondone let go by the Cubs. Bruce Rondone. Uh, non-tendered by the Tigers. Chase Whitley, non-tendered by the Rays, who did decide to keep Brad Miller, even though he's projected to earn $4.4 million if he goes through the arbitration process and he just had core muscle surgery uh, back in October. They kept Miller. They let uh, Chase Whitley go. They also let Xavier Cedeno go. But Whitley has already been claimed by the Braves, who may try him out as a starter. So that's uh, kind of intriguing. And just uh, a few more relievers uh, of note that have become free agents. Jared Hughes, uh, non-tendered by the Brewers. TJ McFarland and Shea Simmons. Uh, Shea Simmons, uh, most recently with the Mariners, um, had many of of his own uh, health struggles. Uh, Tommy John surgery in his history. Uh, So a lot of interesting names out there. Not all necessarily relevant for for fantasy, but... uh, Definitely makes the free agent market uh, even more interesting. So uh, anyhow, that's uh, what I got for you in terms of the non-tender deadline. So we're going to head for yet another break here. But when we come back, I'm going to dig into the second base landscape and see how that looks for the coming year. I think the forecast is a little cloudy on that one. I will explain when we come back. If you're playing daily fantasy basketball on DraftKings or FanDuel this NBA season, you need to sign up for Daily Roto. Built by a team featuring millionaire maker winners and live final champions, 
Daily Roto's customizable projections, podcasts, strategy guides, and lineup optimizer will help you compete with the pros in a fraction of the time. Better yet, you can save 10% off using the promo code FNTSY. So go to dailyroto.com backslash premium to learn more about their product. Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior, and uh, I just talked about some of the fallout from non-tender day. One thing I kind of skipped over, it wasn't, I was a player who didn't get non-tendered. I mentioned Brad Miller being kept around by the Rays, uh, even though he's projected to make uh, $4.4 million next year. Uh, the Brewers went ahead and they re-signed Stephen Vogt who they uh, picked up from the A's in the middle of last season. So he's going to get just over $3 million, uh, to be exact, uh, $3,065,000 for the 2018 season. And, uh, you know, something that uh, I remember looking at uh, towards the end of the season, and then I I tweeted it out uh, after this news broke, was those power numbers went way up going to Milwaukee. But... The, the home road splits were not really what I expected. He hit uh, more home runs and extra base hits. Uh, he hit extra base hits at a higher rate away from Miller Park. And it wasn't a big difference. I mean, he still had a, an ISO, I want to say somewhere in the neighborhood of 180 at Miller Park, which was much better than what he had over his career uh, playing in Oakland Coliseum. But it was well over 200 on the road. So, I mean, what I draw from that, and I mean, you know, either way this played out, uh, it's it's not going to really make a difference for his fantasy v- uh, value. I just found it sort of interesting. I think that the the big boost for vote was not necessarily going to Miller Park, but getting out of Oakland Coliseum uh, for whatever that's worth. So uh, vote, I would expect, would get the bulk of the playing time behind the plate there in Milwaukee, although uh, they've got Manny Pena around. They've also got Jet Bandy. So uh, it's certainly not that he'll be unchallenged playing time but i would think you know probably around 50 percent, maybe even a little bit more and uh you know that's those power numbers after the trade uh definitely make him a lot more intriguing to me as a, a possible number two catcher next season but let's shift away from the catcher position and into second base uh so i've taken a look at catcher i took a look at uh, first base in last week's episode and again, just in case you have missed those episodes, what I'm doing here, I mean, this is just really, you know, kind of scratching the surface, kind of just getting you, uh, you know, uh, kind of uh, giving you an appetizer for for the real uh, serious uh, draft prep. But, you know, I think it's good to just sort of take, stop, uh, take stock, rather, of each position going one by one and seeing what's changed and what the nature is of the distribution of talent and production across that position going into the year. Cause at least it, it gives you, you know, a way to think about strategizing for uh, the, the, the coming year's drafts and second base is interesting because, okay, you got Jose Altuve, who's the clear number one. I mean, if there's any debate about Jose Altuve and there has been some, I don't think it's particularly debatable, but uh, there has been some discussion about whether or not Altuve should be the number one player overall. In early ADPs, uh, Trout still has uh, the the edge there in terms of, of popular opinion. I was in a CBS points mock about, I think it was a week and a half ago. I had the number one pick 
I took Mike Trout. I didn't think twice about it. So if there's debate around Jose Altuve, it's more that than not only that he's the number one second baseman going into the season, but he's the number one by a mile. Now, an interesting little twist is that Anthony Rizzo, with all of the, uh, we'll say, unorthodox defensive alignments that the Cubs used last year, that he's got 10 games of eligibility at second base going into this year. So if you're in a league that uses 10 games or less as the threshold for eligibility, congratulations, Anthony Rizzo can be a second baseman in your league this year. Uh, He still, I think, is clearly number two behind Altuve. Uh, I also think he's clearly number two ahead of anybody else you might slot behind him. So uh, you've got an elite of one or maybe two players, or maybe you just call them 1A, 1B, since they're really sort of in leagues of their own. Jose Altuve and, again, Anthony Rizzo, if your league allows him to be a second baseman this coming year. Then after that is where it really gets interesting because you got several players that I think are pretty closely clustered in a in a true second tier, Jose Ramirez, Brian Dozier, D. Gordon, Daniel Murphy, Robinson Cano coming off of a disappointing season, but I feel much more comfortable lumping him in with that group than the the third tier group that would come after. And then similar to Rizzo, Matt Carpenter, if you're in a league with a 10 game minimum or I think even 12 game, not that I've ever played in a league with 12 games, but uh, Carpenter clears that. So. Uh, Carpenter may be eligible, Matt Carpenter may be eligible in your league at second base, in which case I would lump him in with that group towards the end, uh, you know, more closer to, to Cano than to, say, Ramirez and Dozier. Uh, and then you've got the third tier. And, and I'm going to stop here because I think there's probably at least one name that I didn't include in the second tier that once people start publishing tiers, I have a feeling this this player is going to show up in, in quite a few of those. And that's Jonathan Scope. And I just think he's going to fall a bit short of that Ramirez Dozier class. Um, you know, and even short enough of, of Robinson Cano. I think Scope will probably out Homer Cano. I don't think he's going to out hit him for average. And I don't think that he'll uh, he may be similar in, in in run production, but I think that's that's the upside for for Jonathan Scope. So I think he's going to lose quite a bit of batting average this year. I, I didn't understand uh, or didn't find a reason to support uh, the high BABIP rate for Scope last year. So particularly in roto leagues, that's going to hurt him, and that's important because roto leagues are Jonathan Scope's tr- strong suit because of, of uh, his relative lack of plate discipline, that puts him at a little bit of a disadvantage in a points league. So I put Jonathan Scope in my third tier. I'm also putting Gene Segura there, and I think he's another one that might be controversial. I was very, very high on Segura last season. Uh, thought he would have another 20 homer season, even with the move from Arizona to Seattle. Obviously didn't happen. Uh, not that I don't think that Segura can't rebound, even in terms of power, but I just have a, enough concerns about his ability to stay healthy uh, and for him to really use stolen bases as a separator. I think he'll just be merely okay as a stolen base source, maybe around 20. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to keep Gene Segura this year out of my second tier at second base. Then you got uh, DJ LeMahieu, Eduardo Nunez, uh, who's a free agent. 
And now here's where it gets to be extremely interesting because there's a bunch of players that could be third tier. Maybe they're maybe they're second tier. Maybe they're not even third tier. Players who come into this year with a very uncertain forecast. Uh, you've got, first of all, Rugnet Odor, who, if I went back, I'm guessing was probably a second tier, second baseman for lots of people. I would bet that maybe he was even considered first tier for some people. So his stock has fallen tremendously. And of course, for good reason, given um, the very, very disappointing season that he had this last year. Uh, so there's Odor. And then there are several players who surprised in a positive way. Chris Taylor, Marwin Gonzalez. Both of them will be second base eligible in, in every conceivable format. Uh, Whit Merrifield. Um, and he was part of this um, part of this Twitter poll that I put out. And I was very surprised by the results there. So I'm going to get to that in a second. You had the surprising rise of Scooter Jeanette. And then you've got uh, sort of reliable uh, second baseman who've been around for a while. Ian Kinsler, Jason Kipnis, uh, Starlin Castro, I think, has you know worked his way into this discussion. So this is a really big tier. And uh, I don't think I mentioned Javier Baez, but uh, he was very highly valued by a lot of uh, fantasy owners going into last year. I think most of them were disappointed by the production, but you know he's still, I think, floating around in that group. And Yohan Moncada, can he break out this year? Um, so I mean, that's an awful lot of names that I just threw out there that are, I would say, candidates for fourth tier, but could be higher, could be lower. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty with almost every one of those players that I mentioned, even the ones who have been around a while, like Kipnis and Kinsler, uh, you know, Kipnis with a, an injury riddled year, uh, Kinsler, uh, I think safe to say probably in the, the decline phase and uh, I think getting overshadowed by many of the other second basemen that I've mentioned. So it's uh, everyone in that group presents some challenges in terms of assessing their value going into this season. So uh, the Twitter poll, I put four of these players in the sort of amorphous, uh, what I'll call, well, really, I, I, third, third slash fourth tier, because I'm not, I'm not exactly sure where to place them. Whit Merrifield was one. Chris Taylor was another. Odor and Marwin Gonzalez. I figured, based on how they produced last year and how I was gauging public perception, that this would be a pretty tight race. And for the most part, it was. Whit Merrifield, however, won this. Not, you know, I would say decisively, but not dramatically. 36% of the vote in a four-way race. So apparently a lot of people are either buying into what Maryfield did last year or at least buying it more than they like what they see from the other three. Taylor and Odor, neck and neck for second place. Taylor got 27%. Odor did finish third with 25%. And Marwin Gonzalez at the back with 12%. That surprised me a little bit too, I, especially the gap between him and Chris Taylor. Uh, you know, they're very similar in having versatility and being very surprising producers last year. Um, but apparently not a lot of people buying into Marlon Gonzalez in the same way that they're buying into the others. Anyway, that's just, again, just the first go around at second base. I'll be digging in much more in depth with that position than all the others. But we're going to have to break and come back with Jeff Zimmerman of Rotographs. You're going to want to hear 
this segment. So stick around. I'll be right back. Did you know that you can listen to this show live on the award-winning Fantasy Sports Radio Network? Listen on the iHeartRadio app, the TuneIn Radio app, or download the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network is the only totally free, 24-7, 365 Fantasy Sports Network of its kind without a subscription. Check out YouTube Live on the Fantasy Sports Network YouTube page and participate in the program in there where you can ask questions, discuss the topics with other fantasy enthusiasts, or tell everyone that you disagree. Call into your favorite show and ask your question. The number is 844-84-FNTSY. That's 844-843-6879. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network, your free fantasy source, 24 hours a day. Welcome back, everybody. This is FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And uh, for this segment, I'm riding with uh, Jeff Zimmerman from Rotographs and Fantrax. And uh, also on uh, Twitter at, at Jeff W. Zimmerman uh, with one N at the end. Uh, anyways, with no uh, further delay, Jeff, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me this afternoon. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm very uh, happy that that you could join me, Jeff, because you've, uh, as I, I've sort of teased earlier in the show, I mean, you've put out a lot of great stuff lately, uh, uh, very impressive quality and quantity. Uh, and by the way, was there anywhere I left off that people can find your work besides uh, Rotographs and uh, Fantrax? I do a little bit at Rotowire, but um, no, those are the two right now. Who knows how it'll change? I've been all over the place. Yeah, th- that's exactly the term I used <laughs> all over the place in a, in a most excellent way. Uh, but one of the things that really drew my attention uh, from your work in the, the past week or so is this uh, dollar, val- dollar value matrix that you tweeted out um, for a 15-team league. Um, now, is, can people find this anywhere other than your Twitter feed? As of right now, that's the only place I put it out. Um, I can recreate it again and I'll, I can do it again. It's, um, it basically just kind of takes the auction values and puts it into a matrix and I'll go ahead and send it out again for people that haven't seen it. And the one thing that I always find with it is, um, I, I just like to verify every year if there's a spot or if there's a location in the draft, if you get the choice of where's the best place to pick. And I've heard a lot of people like, oh, we want to be at the end of the first round this year so you can get a hitter and one of the top pitchers. But as usual, it still looks like it's best to be the first picks just as there's just more talent, differentiating talent at the top of the draft. Yeah, now to look at this matrix, I mean, it looks like not only the first picks, but it looks like there's a distinct advantage from having the number one pick. Um is that a correct assumption? And is that just strictly based on assuming that that's Mike Trout's spot or is that just inherent to just the pick itself? Um, It's Mike Trout. That's what this one's based off of. And historically, like one year, I remember there was always the big debate of Trout and Harper and they were kind of both up there. And then the one year was Miggy and Trout. Like 
they've been the top ones. And sometimes, depending on how people value it, Kershaw can be up there too. So a lot of times it's like the top two or three, but this year it's Trout. And then truthfully, it drops really steady for the first round. Like, I could, I really can't argue the picks afterwards, maybe after Altuve, but even if that, if you want to go a different direction, it's really nice and flat for a long while, almost 20 picks into the draft. Yeah, uh, well, yeah, because the Altuve pick at number two, you've got at $35.9, and then, uh, yeah, it doesn't uh, drop off much. Uh, let's see, you don't get under 28 until the uh, 18th pick overall. So, yeah, uh, that, that seems to be pretty clear if you, if you look at this. Um, now, this is for a 15-team league. Do you think that this would change much for a 12-teamer? I don't think too much. I think the biggest changes I've seen every year, and I hadn't done the 12-team, is with AL and NL, because there's some position scarcity that's happening, mm-hmm. especially like AL and second base. Altuve's like by far even number one because there is no second base. Steals, and the main thing is steals, there's no one that steals in the AL right now. Um, it's all the big speedsters, Turner, Gordon, Hamilton are all in the NL. So it, it definitely there's some changes when it happens with that. But um, I haven't run it with the 12, and I know I may just look into it. I kind of run this one stay with the 15 so it kind of plays even deeper leagues kind of plays in between them okay okay that makes a lot of sense well if you're not if you're one of the 11 out of or 11 out of 12 or 14 out of 15 people that's not lucky enough to pick first uh you know what what can you do because i mean obviously there are going to be people in leagues that don't get that that don't get trapped that do win uh is there a clear way to overcome that disadvantage i think you just have to pick the best and I don't know if I would actually use, like, some people are like, oh, should I reach or should you not? It's like, not everyone can reach. You know, there's going to have to be, um, I mean, it's just the other 14 or other 11 owners just all can't go with a strategy to try to reach and try to get um, younger guys or, you know, higher upside guys that may also crash. I just think you just have to keep drafting the best you can and find some value later in the draft to hope to make up for it and just hope like this year Trout misses a couple months and, you know, that kind of makes up the difference. But just right now, it's just a big advantage for everyone in drafts. I mean, it's a, I mean, we've both done auctions. We've done one together. It's just if one person started out with a $270 budget and someone else had a $259 budget, everyone else, it's like, well, it's a little bit of an advantage. It doesn't guarantee they're going to win, but you'd rather be the guy at 270 than the guys at 259. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, this is really just the beginning of, uh, you know, the application of this this matrix, because uh, just yesterday you published a piece on rotographs uh, that your, your top 50 ranked players uh, looking at their their estimated value versus their ADP to date. Uh, and uh, rather than get, you know, deep uh, in the weeds with the, uh, you know, the methodology you use, I'll just point people to rotographs and read the piece because it's, it's going to be more than worth the time you're, uh, you'll spend reading it. But um, uh, what, what are some of the big takeaways from uh, looking at the, uh, the, the ex- well, uh, let me at least ask this much. So how are you assessing the expected value of the player? We already know how you you've assessed the value of the pick that they're going at, but how are you assessing the the player's uh, value for the coming year? 
for for the player, I'm just um, I kind of used yeah, like the methodology's there, but it's basically just like an auction value. Like if you're going to an as an auction, I just can kind of work at it this way, and it kind of keeps you from reaching where it's like you got each pick, you're at your twenty six dollar pick or whatever. Who are you going to pay? take and you want to try to get as much value as you can out of it. And sometimes you'll be able to drop a guy and hope he, you know, falls down around. Like I really found AJ Pollock almost had second round value and he was going around the fifth round. So maybe, you know, you can wait till the fourth, fifth round and hope to try to pick him up. But, you know, someone else might think the same thing. And I really think his value his crap takes going to go up. Like it was really kind of undervalued. And I think some, just looking at it, it's one of those corrections that you'll see as the season goes on. And so I just always kind of look at that dollar amount and just always try to get a couple extra dollars or at least break even. And then at the end of the draft, just hope you picked up like, you know, a $320 team for, you know, your normal 260 of whatever your values are. So, and it kind of, like I said, it really keeps me from reaching when you're like, oh, I'm spending $23 for someone's only worth 16. Maybe I should. I need to find those guys that are actually worth more, even if I don't like them or they're not sexy. You know, I always find that I end up picking just a lot of bland players. And, but at the end, it just seems to work out really good. Well, well, I'm having deja vu here because I had you on the show. uh, I think it was towards the end of the season when you were wiping everybody away in our uh, tout wars mixed auction league. And, and I, you know, basically asked, how do you account for the success? And my memory serves me right. That was your number one reason. You drafted boring players. You, you acquired boring players uh, at a discount that other people weren't really interested in. So, uh, you know, I think uh, the, the proof is there that uh, that, that could be very valuable to do. Um, is, do you have a certain rule of thumb in terms of you've got these numbers now, you've got these values down in terms of a value of the pick where they're going in ADP, uh, a value that you assess them at, uh, you know, based on a, a projection? Uh, how much or let me, how little surplus are you willing to take on with a given player if they're sitting there at your queue, in your queue and your pick is coming up? Um, I really will. I mean, a lot of times it depends. Like, there'll be multiple players. Like, I kind of look at the first round. And the one thing, like, even I found with, looking through this is I found a lot of outfielders that were good values later. So I may not pick an outfielder earlier on, even if it is a dollar value, because I'll know I'll be able to get some later, you know, in the draft that have a value. So this is kind of just one of those initial looks where I kind of just see where the values are and then try to make adjustments. It's like, oh, I know this outfielder or this pitcher is just consistently gone later. And a lot of times, if their average draft position is in the fifth round, I may jump up and get them in the fourth if they're like a second round, you know, target. I kind of want that player, especially if it's a second rounder, what I believe is a second rounder in the fourth round, like, I'm going to get him then. I may not push it, but one thing I've found as the draft goes on is I'll have multiple players. Earlier on, it doesn't happen as much. There may be one or two guys I have to make the decision on, but as you get into, like, the 10th round, a lot of guys kind of follow your value, so it's a little bit tougher then. Yeah, no, I could definitely uh, definitely see that. Uh, well, I've got one more question for you, Jeff, uh, before we got to wind up here. Um, so this is obviously a great way, and I think you actually phrase it this way in the piece. It's a great way to start off your season, but obviously finding surplus value is, is something you've got to do all season long. Does this exercise have any applicability once the, the draft is over? 
uh, or uh, is there uh, another way? And I realize you only have, a, only have about a minute to say so, but uh, is there another way to, to find surplus value in season? I think you really have to look at your bottom five players and see if you can really make an improvement. Don't fall in love with them and just find your bottom five constantly and just be really willing to move on if they're bad, just because you paid a lot for them. Especially that if you paid a lot, it doesn't matter once the season starts, especially with pitchers, they've changed. Just be willing to move on, find those guys and go find someone else that can improve your team. I think that's the biggest thing is don't be locked on if these values are wrong. I mean, some are going to be right. Some are going to be wrong. Just some guys going to do better. Some guys going to do worse, but just, just because you, I spent, I kept Rick Porcello this last year in town. That was the dumbest thing I did <laughs> for the whole season. He should have been out for someone else to have on their team and ruin yeah. their numbers. I mean, it didn't really hurt me that bad, but it was one of those deals like I should have moved on so much quicker. Well, you know, the, you could be forgiven. You had an outstanding season. And, and Jeff, thank you so much for joining me here. Outstanding advice. And uh, best of luck to you this offseason. All right. Thanks a lot. All right, everybody, that was Jeff Zimmerman. Uh, Stick around. We will be right back after this break. The award-winning Fantasy Sports Radio Network is your free fantasy source 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. You can catch this show and many others live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app, iHeartRadio, or TuneIn Radio. Want to listen on your computer at work? Go to FNTSY.com slash radio or check us out on YouTube Live on the Fantasy Sports Network YouTube page where you can ask questions, discuss topics with other fantasy enthusiasts, or tell everyone that you disagree. Call into your favorite show and ask your questions on the air. The number is 844-843-6879. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network is the only totally free, 24-7, 365 days a year fantasy sports network of its kind without a subscription. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network, your fantasy source. Jobs. Welcome back, everybody. This is FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And once again, I want to express my thanks to Jeff Zimmerman of Rotographs and Fantrax uh, for joining us for that last segment. And uh, I think Jeff is the league leader in uh, information per per segment minute. <laughs> he uh, gave us a lot of great information and uh, terrific uh, drafting insight. And, and I appreciate that the last bit uh, what I, I really threw him up a, a pretty tough question that he probably could have spent half a segment on uh, in terms of in-season strategies. And he really boiled it down to, um, I thought, a very good rule of thumb, which is uh, just throughout the season. And I'm just going to you know, say almost verbatim what he did. Uh, do not fall in love with the bottom five players on your roster. Uh, you know, we could certainly talk about different ways that you measure that. Uh, and I don't know if there's any, you know, one best way to do it, but however, you, you know, you're assessing that, um, you know, keep evaluating that bottom five of, of your roster and turning that over. And, um, you know, something that I just think is is a, an important point that might have gotten lost in the discussion 
is that the draft really is just the first step. And we put so much emphasis on the draft. It's it's sort of it's my favorite part of the year of the fantasy year, maybe just the year period. Uh, I love draft day. Look forward to it so much. I think we all do. Uh, and and it certainly goes a long way determining what hand you have to play the rest of the year. But, you know, that's kind of what's cool about that that uh, draft pick matrix is that, you know, some people just by virtue of where they pick, especially this year with the number one pick, they're, they're just going to have a better hand to play coming out of, out of draft day. And the, the quest all season long is to maximize that hand that you have. So it's really just, just the first step. Uh, so, and Jeff has just tweeted out that matrix. Uh, so he's at Jeff devil, Jeff W Zimmerman with one N on the end. Uh, just tweeted that out. I'm going to retweet that at the end of the show, which is coming up on us very, very shortly. Uh, so I uh, also just want to point out, uh, do check out that that article uh, that he wrote for Fangraphs. It's called Top 50 Ranked Players, Value versus ADP. Uh, and the top players that he has in terms of surplus value, uh, first of all, there's a bunch of catchers here, so that's kind of inter- interesting unto itself. Evan Gaddis is number one on this list by a big margin in terms of surplus value. So if I had Jeff on a little bit longer, we would have probably dug into Evan Gaddis a little bit, but uh, we got all off season to to think about Evan Gaddis. He mentioned A.J. Pollock. He was number two. Manny Machado was third. Wilson Contreras uh, was fourth. So uh, two catchers there in the uh, in the top four. And he also mentions in the piece how uh, catcher is really the only position where you need to take scarcity into account. And that's interesting too. And that's to bring it full circle, partly why I do these uh, brief little sketches of the landscape because uh, positions like second base I talked about today, even though there's, you know, one or if Rizzo's in your league, you know, two players at the top, uh, there's, there's still a sort of an evening out that's going on in the lower tiers. Anyway, I'm out of time. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks again to Jeff Zimmerman. Uh, I'll be back here again, same time next week. Meanwhile, stay tuned for the producers. Have a great weekend, everybody. 